listen, the reason we exist as a church is to make a difference in our city to make a difference in our family, to make a difference in our neighborhood, to make a difference in our region. I guess the, uh, <laughs> I guess the uh, ushers have message notes if you want to follow along. I'd love for you to follow along um, because I think it's a big deal. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that we all have to get is making a difference needs to be part of the way we function in our lives. Um, and everybody kind of thinks that there's this, like, I got to do this one big thing to make a difference, when in reality, I don't think that's how it works at all. You know, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but last night, the Astros won the pennant, and they're going to the World Series. <laughs> and for, I mean, I guess not many Astros fans in the room. What, Yankees fans? <laughs> yeah, the there was a, the whole stadium was chanting MVP to Justin Verlander, who was a pitcher, right? And it's like, oh, this is his moment, right? His legacy is being made right here. See, it's not really true. Justin Verlander's been pitching for a long time. He's been working, working. He's been becoming an elite pitcher for a very long time. And I think the same is true for us when we start to think about our legacy, your legacy, my legacy, your family's legacy. When we think about our church's legacy, what is it going to be? What is it going to mean? I don't know if you've ever done this, but there's a, there's a really cool exercise that I've done before, and it is where you sit down and you write your own obituary. It sounds morbid, doesn't it? It sounds creepy. <laughs> it's like, no, but it's a very good, very good thing to do. What are people going to say when they stand up at your funeral? What are they going to say? What's the first few lines of your obituary going to say? I looked up some obituaries. Here's four. These are, these are in the New York Times. Rosa Parks. A black seamstress whose refusal to relinquish her seat to a white man on a city bus in Montgomery, Alabama, almost 50 years ago grew into a mythic event that helped touch off the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s. Died yesterday at her home in Detroit. She was 92 years old. It's pretty awesome. Here's Mother Teresa's. Hope of the despairing dies at 87, September 6, 1997. Mother Teresa, the Roman Catholic nun who won the 1979 Nobel Peace Prize for her work among the poorest of the world's poor, died yesterday in Calcutta, India, where she had lived since her work with the destitute began five decades ago. She was 87. Here's a little light, more lighthearted one, but it's relatively recent. Carrie Fisher. An actress, author, and screenwriter, Mrs. Fisher brought, brought a rare combination of nerve, grit, and hopefulness to her most indelible role as Princess Leia in the Star Wars movie franchise. John Glenn died on December 8, 2016, at age 95. A freckled-faced son of Ohio, Mr. Glenn was hailed as a national hero and a symbol of the space age as the first American to orbit Earth, then became a national political figure for 24 years in the U.S. Senate. 
I want you to think about these people. I want you to think about their lives. They're, they're gone now. But Carrie Fisher, for instance, she stumbled into this role of Princess Leia. She did not know that would define her for millions and millions of people. She felt defined by it her whole life, and actually, it caused her a lot of pain. She didn't like being defined by Princess Leia. I mean, that hairdo. Saucers right here. <laughs> John Glenn, on the other hand, used his moment in space to make a bunch of decisions that led him to years of faithful public service. Mother Teresa never had just one moment. She never had one moment. For her, it was a life of faithful decisions that left an incredible legacy and made her world a worldwide icon. Rosa Parks was never, oh, I thought you were bringing that to me. <laughs> That's okay. If you think about it, Rosa Parks was never seeking fame. She was just riding the bus. She was just riding the, the bus, and she didn't think that her one simple act would define an entire movement, but it did. See, we don't always know, but there are things that we can do to take a risk. One day she just said, no, I'm not getting up. I think she kind of looked like that, too. Some people take risks. Some, some people live for others, and it makes a huge difference. It develops a legacy over time. Some are caught in a career of pop culture. Others take a stand and end up being a symbol. Your life can be defined in a moment, or it can be defined by a long string of decisions. But the thing that you and I have to wrestle with is what we're going to leave as a legacy. What, what are, who, who are we going to be? What's going to come after us? I, I looked up the word legacy. Here it is. It says something such as a tradition or problem that exists as a result of something that happened in the past. Something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die. It's interesting. Everybody, everybody will leave a legacy. Some are going to be really good and some are going to be bad. There's, there's really bad legacies being left on our planet every day. But one way or another, you will leave one. And so the question, what do you want your legacy to be, is a really an important one. What do you want people to say about you when you're gone? What do you want the legacy of our church together as a group of people? Because all, that, all we are as a church is a collection of individuals that's what makes up the legacy of our church is what we all decide we're going to do together. And, and here's what I, the reason we're launching into a series on this subject is because we are at a pivotal moment in the life of our church. We just passed our seven year anniversary and, and we're getting, I mean, I mean we're, we can look back and we can see God's faithfulness and we can, we can be so grateful for what Jesus has done. I mean, starting in a, a movie theater in the Barton Creek Square Mall and then coming to a commercial office building and launching two other campuses, one in a little church, one in Kyle. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. The fact that we can have 29 baptisms over, a, over Sunday services on one Sunday is so beautiful and so wonderful. I th but I think we are at a pivotal moment because we have challenges ahead of us. We have challenges in our city 
in our culture, in our own neighborhoods, in our own lives, because we've chosen to follow Jesus, we cannot ignore those things. We have to hit them head on. We have to decide what we're going to do. As we discovered in those obituaries, legacy looks different for everybody, but we have to be ready for it. Psalm 112, we'll look that, uh, at this scripture first. Psalm 112, five through six says, good will come to him who is generous and lends freely. So this, this, this first phrase, it's very interesting. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely. People who are uptight and grumpy and greedy, they don't turn out so well. But this verse is saying, I'm not gonna let I'm not going to keep everything for me in my life. I'm going to learn how to give things away and make a difference, not only in my generosity, but the way I live. He says, who conducts his affairs with justice. In other words, I have to be very intentional about how I live. Verse 6 says, surely he will never be shaken. Check this out. The psalmist is telling us how we can live without being shaken. Hold up. Wait. You can't tell me. Wait a minute, you can't tell me there's a formula for how I'll never be shaken. Yes, I can. We can't control whether or not we, there will be shaking that goes in our lives, but I can give you the formula for never being shaken, being firm, being steadfast, being rooted. I can, I can coach you on, on how to live when the storms come and, and you, your house stands because there's a firm foundation. There will be shaking. The question is, will we be ruined by it? Listen, if you don't define what your life is all about, your problems will define you. If you don't define what, why you're on the planet, your problems will define everything about your life. Here's what the rest of the scripture says. It says, a righteous man will be remembered forever. Check that out. Look at that. Underline that little phrase right there. If you have your Bible or, or is it in your message notes? Yeah, just, just underline that. This is how we want to live our lives. We want to live in such a way that our lives live on after we're gone. This is what legacy is. This is how legacy lives on. God wants a life that lives on. You can actually live beyond yourself. A righteous man will be remembered forever. So, okay, so how do I do it? I'm, we're going to be talking about this for the next uh, four weeks. He's telling us how to do it in this passage, though, and I want you to see it. This passage, he outlines two ways, and the first way is giving something that will outlive me. I'm going to find something, a cause, a church that I can get behind. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time and energy and talents and skills, ideas. You have things to give. You, you need to give it away in, in ways that will outlive you, that will make a difference in people's lives. It's not all consumed by you. You don't use everything on yourself. You actually, you actually allow for God to work through you, for you to give yourself away, to give to others who are in need you and I need to give in a way that lives on to gain treasure in heaven, but not just in giving, but in living so my life outlives me. The goal isn't to live on earth forever, but to leave something behind that does. Check this out. This solves your problems? No, they don't go away. Jesus said we will have trouble, but now you have something in your life that's bigger than your problems. 
This is people's, so much of the time, all their problems start to dominate all the landscape within their mind, within their soul, within their emotions. You're, some of you right here, are, your problems are just overwhelming you. You're consumed. You're, 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 it's throwing your life off track. You're struggling. Your finances, your relationships, your job, your family, your problems, they're the biggest thing in your life. And you, you, just live, you get up every day to slug it out again to try to overcome the problems. And this is what your life is all about. But you, gotta, you and I have to f- make sure that we are finding our place in the story of God. The big story of God. That's what life is about. All the extra stuff, all the stuff we enjoy, it's all blessings from God, no doubt about it. You need to see it that way. But your life is on a mission, and our church is on a mission. And I got to tell you why this is so important, because as your pastor, the number one metaphor in the Bible is a, uh, for a pastor is a shepherd. And a shepherd protects sheep, he leads them along he defends them. He chases them down when they wander off. I, this is my role is to guide you to help you navigate life according to God's plan. I want to help guide you because there are two parts to your life. Here it is, the life you live here on earth and the life you live in eternity. Check this out. You, we all think that this life is how everything is sort of focused. But the truth is, Listen to this. You're going to live in eternity a lot longer than you lived here. See, if, you, if, if you're a Christian, you believe this. You're going, so, so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm challenging you to actually think this way. The psalmist says we live 70 years or so, 70 or 80 years. And there's something, it seems like a breath. It seems like it just goes, I was just talking about this with my wife the other day and we've been married for 25 years Woo, 25 years and and we have five kids and the oldest is 23 years old and the youngest is 10 and it seems like they will never grow up <laughs> but then but then we turn around one day and it's like oh we have a married son oh my gosh we only have eight years left with our youngest what are we doing? Oh my gosh, we haven't done a good enough job. This is how it goes in our, in our family. We gotta do a better job. We haven't told them everything. They're not ready for life. Time speeds forward. You and I have to remember that the life we live here is much, much shorter than the life we're gonna live in eternity. Most of the stuff we talk about in church, we we talk about the stuff of earth. I'm coaching you on things. But most of the stuff of life is not really about earth. It's about eternity. Part of my job is to prepare you for eternity. So you're going to stand. You and I will both stand before God one day, and and there will be an accounting. There will be a, 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 a judgment about how we lived our lives. Romans 14, 10 through 12 says this. It says, you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? In other words, why are you thinking about how everybody else is living? Why are you so consumed with other people and how they're doing? Pay attention to your own life. It says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. You're going to stand before God yourself one day and have your own day in court. We all will. You'll give it an account. Verse 11 says, it is written, surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. Every knee, 
think about this, every knee, every person, every, everyone in the world will come to the conclusion of who Jesus is. Now, I, 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 I think this is a powerful guiding stance for our lives to, to, to remember that that's where we're headed. He says, every, knee, every tongue will confess to God, and I think we ought to go ahead and just, that what we're doing this morning, what we're doing as we worship, what we're doing when we open the scriptures, what you're doing when you pray each day, is you are saying, all right, I believe. I confess you as Lord. I, I kneel before you. Th that's what these people were doing when they got baptized. They were saying, he's the Lord of my life. He is the king of all the earth, and I'm going to live for him and for his purpose. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. I don't know about you, but I, tests, I really, I really don't love tests. You know, in school, some of you are good test takers, some of you are awful test takers. And, and I actually, I was a pretty good test taker. I would stay up all night long studying, and, and I would get a really good B plus after having not studied. Now, sadly, I, in my, my college years, I would, I would stay up overnight and I would pray, Jesus, please help me. I'm so sorry. Forgive me for wasting all that time. I'm so sorry. Just help me do it better. Some people are, like we've got a couple of kids that aren't good at taking tests at all. Like, like they'll study and study and study and they'll get to the test. It's just like, like nothing there. It's just really struggling to take the test. But here's the thing you and I got to understand. There's going to be a test. And whether you're good at it or bad at it, you're, there's probably no cramming for this test. And, and I, don't, I don't know if you ever discovered this in college, but I, I, when I was going to college, you know, we didn't have the, really the internet and, you know, was, we, we, had, we, had, we had like phone um, everybody in their dorm room had a, what did they call them, like a phone, uh, uh, um, sorry, recorder, like a, what did that, answering machine, I couldn't come up with it, it was like, <laughs> they had an answering machine, do you remember, how many people remember answering machines, right, we don't have answering machines anymore, I had an answering machine, everybody had an answering machine, and everybody was trying to be really cool in how they left a voice message, and they were all really stupid, and so I remember this, I mean, I mean, I remember this age of our culture, and when I learned that you could find old tests, <laughs> old tests that the teachers had given the year before, you could find them, and they kind of got passed around. Do you remember this? <laughs> I never did that. But listen, there's going to be a test, and I don't think this is the kind of test we're going we're gonna to be able to cram for. When you step into eternity, there's going to be really a two-question test. Here it is. I don't know how it'll be phrased, but it'll go something like this. Number one, what did you do with my son Jesus? What did you, what did you do with my son Jesus? Revelation 20 Verse 11 through 12 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Check that out. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. 
everything you've ever done, you and I have ever done, have been written in these books. This is called the Great White Throne Judgment. And when it happens, you want him to look at the other, you, I mean, you, you really don't want him to look at the other books and, and say, this is how your life is defined. You want him to look in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Book of Life is where you want your name to be. And there will be many people who are, gonna, who are going to insist, even at that moment, to pay for their own sins. Let me be real clear about something right here, is that um, people get hung up on heaven and, and hell and how those two things exist together. And, and, and I, wanna, I wanna help you understand that God never created hell for people, that that was never his intention for anybody to end up there. I tend to gravitate to the what C.S. Lewis, the great author and theologian, says, that people who want to live without God's presence, people who don't want to know God, people who resist him, people who reject him, people who want to do their own thing for all their lives will get into the habit, and that habit will be so deep, and the denial will be so great of any God that when they get there and see Jesus on the throne, they'll still resist him. And Jesus will give them what they want. I think, I think it's a challenging prospect to, to, to realize that there is a, an evaluation that's gonna happen. There's a test. What did you do with my son Jesus? Did you embrace him? Did you, did you follow him? Did you resist him? Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we did, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What Jesus is saying here, there'll be a whole bunch of stuff, people who do a bunch of church things. There'll be a whole bunch of people who, who maybe do some things that are kind of kind or nice. But that's, not it a lot of people are going to say that they did things for God but that's why I want you to experience and know God because the answer to the, this first question is I know him personally I know him I know him I've talked to him I've experienced him in my life in other words, Jesus is the priority in our lives. Some of you need to do that today. You, you need to, you don't have to join this church to do that, but you, you need to say to Jesus, I want to know you. I had a relationship with him. I, I trusted him. I believed in him. I followed him. Don't, none of us should, should pay the penalty of our own separation from God. Jesus already did that. Anybody who's separated from God, Jesus paid the penalty of that separation. He wants to draw you close to himself. Jesus did it on a cross 2,000 years ago when he died and let the, the sins of the whole world, in other words, the separateness, the separation of the whole world from God, he took it upon himself and, and, draw, and, and drew people to his father. And so the second question is different, and it'll be asked if you answered the first question correctly. 
And if you answer the first question correctly, this question is about something called the second judgment. And the second question will be something like this. It'll be, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? I, I, and I, as your pastor, have a responsibility to help you answer that question well. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things well, while done, done while in the body, whether good or bad. Matthew 16, 17 says, or 27 says, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward. Everybody say reward. He will reward each person according to what he's done. That word reward in the Greek, it means to pay you back. Think about this. Jesus wants to pay you back for the, all the ways you've lived here on earth. He wants to reward you. How you live your life here matters to Jesus. Not to get into heaven. That happens by God's grace, right? Don't, don't, don't mistake the, the, the premise here. God's grace and God's mercy, he's drawn you to himself, and he's paid the penalty of all sin and separation. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to know him. But then there's a, there's a second question, and it is, what did you do with what I gave you? Once heaven is your destination, then, then how you live matters. So the answer to the second question is, I gave my life away. Before you find Jesus, the whole, your whole life is about finding him. After Jesus, your whole life is about making a difference. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. I love this. Eternity in the hearts of men. God put eternity in your heart. You can't help but think about it. Everybody, I mean, all you got to do is watch TV. All you got to do is watch the movies that are coming. Everybody thinks about the afterlife. We're about to go to, into Halloween, and everybody's like totally twisted on this thing. Whether they know who Jesus is or not, it's in, there's something in our hearts that's eternal. Unfortunately, too many of us don't know what to do with this. So you live your life spontaneously, intuitively. You live uh, um, haphazardly. You live by chance. You, you, you live with whatever happens, happens. You know, one of the worst things I've, I've ever heard anyone say is, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, but some of the reasons are really bad. Like, like foolish things, like terrible things, like tyranny in the earth. God is not, there's enough terribleness, horrible things that happen in the earth. Jesus never, never causes those things. God doesn't cause those things. And, and, and the question always comes up when I talk about this. Well, why did, why did he ever let it happen? Because he needed, he wanted a relationship, and that means every person has to have a choice. There is no way to have a relationship if you're just a robot running around under his control. See, he wants a relationship. So if we're going to live intentionally, if we're going to stand before God, let's decide that we're going to do a few things to leave a legacy. Here they are, very quickly. Number one, I will intentionally give what I have. I, I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. I will, I will give what I have. I know so many people who are bent out of shape over stuff they don't have. <laughs> Jesus wants you to focus on what you do have 
And then he wants you to be responsible for that and then give it away in an, in an act of generosity. He wants you to, to, to live in a way that's giving yourself. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 says, you will be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God has given you and I so much. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're making 32,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the richest people on the planet. Hey, let's celebrate. <laughs> Jesus wants you to take what you have. Not what you don't have, but what you have. And he wants you to give it. Let me coach you on how to do this. I think you, as your life, leaving a legacy, you should become a percentage giver. When you give money to the church, I don't think it should be under compulsion or emotional duress. It shouldn't be because there's really sad pictures up here on these screens. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you and I being intentional about leaving a legacy and what we have to do as a church because here's where we are. We are in a, in a moment within Austin where Jesus has given us a vision for 10 communities in 10 years. 10 churches we're going to plant in. We have three, we have seven more to go. I hope we get, I hope God gives us more. But who knew that church planting costs money? Here's, here's the thing, here's the thing. So, so what, the question really before us as a church, One Chapel, is who are we going to be and who are we going to be in our region, in our city? And, and what will we be known for this percentage giving idea, now the, the Bible, the Bible uses 10%, but then it goes like this crazy thing. The, the Bible actually says, it doesn't just limit it to 10%, it kind of goes up to even uh, a third or 33%. But here's what I always say to people who are like, what, 10%, what are you talking about? Pastor Ross, you don't know how hard it is out there. Yes, I do. I live just the same as you, and it is challenging in every way to be a good steward of what God's given us. But when you become a percentage giver, you don't give under emotion or compulsion. You give because you believe that what you're doing is leaving a legacy and that what you're doing is offering something to God so that your own heart and your own life is not wrapped up with all of it being spent on you. It changes something in your heart when you decide, all right, I'm going to give. And so here's what I coach people to do. So if, you don't, if you've never been a percentage giver, start with 1%. 1% and do that for a month. Then go to 2% the next month. Then go to 3%. Then go to 4%. Then go to 5%. After 10 months, I promise you, your finances will be in order and there will be a transformation that has happened in your own heart. This is why we send people to Financial Peace University. I think there's two idols in our culture, and money's one of them. Sorry, there's a lot more idols in our culture. <laughs> these are the top two. Money is one of the top two, and the other is sex. This, these are the two things that we just can't, we just want, we just want it over and over and over again, and we can get it anywhere, and we get it in any way we want to. We try to, we, I mean, pe people go to jail because they get greed so deeply in their hearts. They do terrible things to people to get these, this paper, this money. It's driving their lives. 
Listen, you and I need to be the kind of people who will not let money drive us, will not let immorality drive us, will not let any of our own uh, 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 fleshly pursuits drive us, but we are, we are driven by God's purpose, and we want to leave a legacy. Amy and I have done this our entire marriage. We've, we, we've, it's called tithing. We've done it our entire marriage, and, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something for the first time ever in the history of the church. We're going to do a, a, an offering in December. December 10th, we're going to do what's called a legacy offering, and the reason is, is because, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outline it for you over the next few weeks, why we're doing this, but, but I want you to start praying because I don't want you to I don't want you to do something because you felt guilty. I want you to do something because Jesus spoke to you about your life. So I want you to pray about what to give, and then you obey. That's what's going to happen. And so, look at the look at the look at the thing in your in, in just on your seat here. This little card. I want you to see this. Look at this. You see that? See this little see this little card that says God loves you something extra to show you God loves you. I want you to take those, and I think we have a whole bunch more of them. Don't we have a whole bunch more of them? People. Who's, who's my people in here? People. Do we have more of these? Yeah, okay. <laughs> these are at the welcome table out in front. You can pick up a stack of them, and you, could, you need to do things like just deliver some cookies to a neighbor and put this little card on it. Offer to babysit to someone for free, a single dad or a single mom. Try to mow someone's yard and then just say, I'm just leaving you something extra. That's what I do. Pay for somebody's coffee when you're standing in line, the long lines in Austin coffee shops. Pay for somebody. Do something that causes you to think about eternity and to think about not being held by everything in this world. Number two, I will intentionally serve others. I will intentionally serve others. Now, some of you are new here, and I, I want you to know you have permission to catch your breath. You have permission to just kind of coast along, keep coming to church. But very soon, I, I don't want you to feel pressured to do anything, but very soon it's going to be important for you to join the community in a way that gives you meaning and purpose. Those of you who have been around here for a long time, it's time to say, put me in, coach. Let's go. Matthew 20, 26 through 28 says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the model that Jesus gave us. This is why Team One exists. This is why we want you to lead a group. This is why we want you to, 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 to be the kind of person who will join the For the One outreach and be part of like 30 organizations on our website where you can get involved at onechapel.com. I think this is the kind of thing. And just take baby steps. You know what, you know what a really good, easy thing to volunteer for is? <laughs> Falltober. <laughs> it's so easy and it's so fun. So I just think, I just think we have to figure out how to be the kind of people that will intentionally serve, not randomly serve, not serve when we have it, what's convenient for us, because serving always ends up being inconvenient. Have you ever noticed that? You can serve, and it's really fun, and it's really new, and then the new wears off. We tell husbands that they need to serve their wives, and it seems really exciting when they first get married. Serving has a component to it where you have to be intentional or it will 
it will not take hold in your life as a character trait, as a habit. You will not leave a legacy if you, you and I don't act like Jesus and serve people. Number three, I will intentionally share Jesus. I will intentionally share Jesus. I think we have to look for opportunities for sharing the story of what's coming in your life. One of the things that I'm really challenged at right now in our church is how often do you share what Jesus has done in your life with somebody? How often does that happen? How often does it happen with somebody who's never met Jesus? How often are you thinking about how to strategize about how to tell that story? If you ask yourself that question, the, the answers are probably not very often. Strategizing to think through, how can I share Jesus with people? Listen, there are 4.7 churches per 10,000 in the region of Austin. 4.7 churches per 10,000 people. The national average is 12. We have 50,000 people a year coming to this city, this region. We will be 4 million in 20 years. There is no end to the churches we should plant in communities and neighborhoods and people who need to know who Jesus is because they are wrecked. They are wracked with pain. They are overwhelmed and consumed. They are tired and they are weary and they don't know what to do with their lives. So they fill it with immorality, with money, the best that money can buy, and they try to feel better. You and I have to intentionally share Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, and this is what our life is all about. So what do we do? We go out into the country, Luke says, and urge everyone to f that we find to come in so that my house will be full. That's what Jesus said. Mark 16.15, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell good news to everyone. This is it. This is what life is when you come to Jesus and that's why these missions trips are so important to you. This mission trip, in two, in two weeks, a missions interest meeting, I think you should go. I think you should consider, what do you want me to do, Jesus? Finally, last scripture, here it is. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. This is not a, a this is not a, uh, Paul is not speaking to the church here. He's speaking to the pastor, right? The pastor is Timothy, and here's what he says to him. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves, they have treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The reason we're talking about this for the next few weeks is because there's more to this life than this life. There's more to this life than this life. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I want you to, I want you just to listen. And I want you to be willing to respond to what God is saying to you. Some of you, God is tugging on your heart and he's tugging on your, your soul and he wants you to listen and he wants you to Find your way to knowing him. 
some of you, it's been a long time since you had a really good relationship with God. And you need to return to him today. So just with your eyes closed, and everybody just, we're, we're just gonna, we're finishing up right here. I just, I just want you to settle in the room, and I just want you to allow God to speak to you. And I'm gonna pray for you. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna do anything crazy. I'm not gonna ask you to come down front. But I am gonna ask you to decide. I'm gonna ask you to decide. Where's your life at? There's really two questions. Do I know him? What am I doing with my life? And if you don't know him, I want you to know him today. And I want to pray with you to know him. I'm going to do it a little differently today than I normally do, but just your eyes closed and everybody's head bowed. And if you, if this is you, if this, if this thing is going on in your life and you realize, I want to know Jesus the way you're talking about it. I don't know him the way you're describing him. I want to know him. Or you're saying, I've been distant from him and our relationship has withered and I want to start again with him. If that's you, I just simply want you to look up at me and catch my eyes. Just right now. Just look up at me. Yep, it's time for me. Okay. Good job. So good. Who else? Anybody else? So good. So good. Yeah, it's a, it's a moment. You kind of have to, it's a gut check. You're like, uh, do I really want to look the pastor in the face? <laughs> I want you to because I want you to be able to look Jesus in the face and then to let him say well done my good and faithful servant come on let's pray this prayer together and